You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Job chapter number one, I'd like to read a few verses here and we'll give you the title of it in just a moment. But Job chapter one and verse number 20, Job chapter one and verse number 20. The Bible says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22, And all this Job said not, nor charged God foolishly. In Job chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says, But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. And then lastly, if you will, take your Bibles to Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13 and verse number 15. Job 13 and verse number 15. We're looking at Job's response in these few verses here. Job 13 and verse number 15, the Bible says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I pray that you would help me as I preach to have wisdom. I pray that you'd help me to be an encouragement. I pray that you'd help me uh, to uh, say the things that you'd have me to say and abstain from saying that which I ought not to say. I pray that you'd challenge and encourage us from your word. I pray that you speak through me. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Uh, I think Brother Russell has a slide up there that I'd like to uh, title the message here tonight, Devil's Food. You know, Brother Nathan got us started off the, the week of Thanksgiving talking about food. And uh, we have a, a, a written policy, just so you know, that's at the church that you're not supposed to talk about food during the morning service because everybody's hungry at that time, and maybe some folks are hungry now. But Brother Nathan routinely violates that policy. And so, Brother Charles, I think we're going to have to exercise some church discipline, uh, maybe on Tuesday night, because you know it's his big birthday this week, and he's turning the big 30. And so we're excited about that. You know, some scholars say that uh, your brain doesn't even fully develop till you're like 24 or 25 or something. You know, some it's much longer than that, but nonetheless... The verse that I have for you, Brother Nathan, is uh, when, I, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood a child, but when I became a man, that's this week, Brother Nathan, <laughs> I put away childish things, but nonetheless, we're excited for his big birthday this week, and I think we've got something planned for Brother Tuesday night, if not, Brother Charles, if you could see me, so I don't want it to go by and, and then him, him just feel like we don't love him, and uh, so nonetheless, and uh, he was so gracious to me on my uh, birthday a few years back, but nonetheless, Thanksgiving is coming, right? It's just a few days a week, uh, just a few days away. What is your favorite food to eat on Thanksgiving? Uh, you know, Thanksgiving should be a time of thanksgiving, right? It should be a time of thanks, a time of remembrance of what God has done in our country, of what God has done in our community, of what God has done with our families, of where we were and what he's brought us to, through, a time of uh, thinking of God's blessing 
over our lives. And uh, so we may know, Brother Nathan talked about it, of different things that we eat on Thanksgiving Day. But uh, one of the things that I think is often missed is Thanksgiving morning. You know, when you wake up that day thinking about Thanksgiving dinner, whatever time you may have that at, maybe it's at 11 o'clock or maybe your family tells you it's going to be at 11 and then 3 or 4 o'clock rolls around and you're still wondering what's going on. And if you walk into the kitchen, fellas, I don't encourage you to do that. On Thanksgiving Day, don't walk in and ask when it's going to be ready or start sticking your fingers in the food uh, lest we have conflict that takes place there. And, uh, but what do you eat on Thanksgiving morning? You know, before the dinner, before the lunch comes around, uh, maybe it's some homemade cinnamon rolls or maybe it's, you know, whatever else. You know, one of the things that I enjoy eating in the morning and whether it's Thanksgiving morning or whether it's other mornings as well are these round pieces of manna right here called donuts, right? And these are, I don't know how you say it, Anton Mans or Enten Mans or whatever else. They sell these at Food Line. They're great. And uh, in 1898, these donuts have been around since then. So that just tells how good that they are to still be around. And uh, they're not Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know anybody who likes Dunkin' Donuts. They don't even make them fresh. They make them, you know, somewhere far away, uh, you know, many years ago. And then they ship them out. They're not fresh. And uh, if you want something good, then you drive to Rocky Mount and you wait for that hot sign to come on. And that goodness right there, manna from heaven, Krispy Kreme donuts are great. If you're ever visiting California in Santa Clara, there's a place called Stan's Donuts, and they'll make those donuts right there. You can eat them uh, hot off the grill, and that's a great thing. But you know what? I enjoy eating donuts for many reasons. So one of all, because I'm a police officer, and that's what we're supposed to do. You, you learn that in BLET in the academy at some point. You know, I can, I can vividly remember that some police officers don't eat them because there's Apparently, people that say the cops eat donuts and make jokes or whatever else, apparently. But I just say, well, if the shoe fits, then just wear it, right? Amen? <laughs> just own it. And, uh, but I was, I was talking with him, and he said, no, I'm not going to go to the donut shop in Palo Alto because I don't want to get made fun of. I don't want somebody to say anything. I said, nobody's going to say anything. It'll be all right. And it was a rookie, so I was trying to train him in the right ways, right? And so we walk into the donut shop. We're both in uniform. We're both in line. And then somebody in the back goes, ah, it is true. And uh, he just kind of looks at me and gives me a dirty look. But nonetheless, you know, these are good donuts. They're the, uh, the um, you know, the rich frosted donuts with the vanilla cake inside on there. But uh, you know what, I enjoy those. But then my kids introduced me to another kind of donuts. And uh, these donuts are chocolate dipped in chocolate, if you will. And they have a special name for these donuts because they're so good. And they're called devil's food, right? And if it says something like that, it's got to be good, right? And, uh, but uh, these donuts are, are, are chocolate on the inside, chocolate on the outside, and uh, they're, they're exciting. You say, well, what does that have to do with the message? I'll get there. But uh, they have things called angel's food cake, right? It's generally like vanilla and then devil's food cake, which is generally chocolate. And uh, I looked up what, where that term came from. In the 18th century, the term deviled was used to reference food that was described as dark, rich, spicy, or chocolatey. A chocolate cake as rich as this one was deemed almost sinful, and therefore, it earned the name devil's food. And so it probably is sin to eat this much chocolate, but it tastes so good, so I'll continue to do it. And um, 
How does it relate? You say, what are you talking about here with devil's food, with the book of Job? What, what, what exactly is talking about here? Here's a question for you. Do you consume anything that is not appetizing other than merely for health value? So let me say it again. Do you consume or do you eat anything that's not appetizing, meaning it doesn't taste good, for anything other than merely for health value? You know, I asked uh, someone that I consider healthy this week, I said, here's a question for you. If broccoli was not good for you, if it had the nutritional value of a Snickers bar, would you still eat it? And the answer was no. And I don't know if there's anybody in here that's like, oh yeah, broccoli tastes so good that even if it had the health value of a Snickers bar, I would still eat it. Is there anybody like that here today? I would still, a few folks here, and the altar will be open at the end of the service if you'd like to. No, I'm just kidding. Would anyone really eat lettuce? You know, to me, it reminds me of going outside and chewing on some bushes. Or kale, or wheatgrass, or beetroot, or liver, or kimchi, if it wasn't good for you. The things that we eat or the things that we consume, generally we do it for a benefit. You know, the, we eat nasty foods for our health, right? And we eat junk food because it tastes good. We combine the two on Thanksgiving uh, to, to make it partially healthy. And you say, well, how do you do that? We take sweet potatoes and we dump, you know, three pounds of marshmallows on top of them and it makes them palatable. It makes them taste good, right? But maybe you're eliminating the health value that's there. But ultimately, we, what we consume we consume what is beneficial for us in some way. Let's look in this passage at what the devil consumed because of what he felt would be beneficial for him to take away. The word consume does not mean to just eat or to drink or to ingest, but it also means to absorb, to take away, or to destroy. In Job uh, chapter number 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. In verse number three, I see Job's substance. The Bible says his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses in a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And let me just encourage folks who are here today and who are watching that the Bible says here that Job was a perfect man and he lived in the east, right? And we look at Roanoke Rapids is on the east, right? Uh, North Carolina is on the east. It's not up north, amen? It's not to the west, it's on the east. In verse number five, I see, uh, verse number four, I see Job's sons and his sons went and feasted in their houses. Everyone is day and sin and call for their three sisters to eat and to drink with him. In verse number five, I see Job's sanctification. And the Bible says, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Wouldn't it be great, first of all, if we got back to confessing our sins? And if we got back individually to be right with the Lord, to say, God, what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? And God, what uh, should I be doing that I'm not doing? When we got back to confessing our sins, 
The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wouldn't it be great if we got back to getting right with God? But secondly, wouldn't it be great if we got back to praying for our family members? Praying for the sins and interceding on the behalf of not only our family, but for a nation and for our city and for our county and for our country, for our church. The Bible says in Ezekiel 22:30, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. God is looking for someone to intercede on the behalf of His people. What are you doing for your family, for your church, for your country to intercede on their behalf? In verse number 6 through verse number 9, the Bible talks about how Satan came before the Lord and God asked if Satan had considered Job. In verse number 9, the Bible says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hey, is it for naught that he's serving you? There's a reason why. In verse number 10, Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Hey, God, he's only serving you because you've been good to him. In verse number 11, he challenges the Lord and says, Hey, if you allow me to touch what he has, he's going to curse thee to thy face. In verse number 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. In verse 13 through verse number 19, Job essentially loses everything that he has. And let me just say this, that when the devil does something, especially if he's trying to prove a point, he goes all in. Have you ever done something drastic in order to try to prove a point to someone? Maybe somebody's looked and they're like, oh, that looks like it's such hard work. And then you're like, oh, no, this is, this is nothing, you know? And you're like, I could do this all day. And then you start working and working and working and you're like, man, this, but I can't let him think that this is hard because I'm trying to prove a point, right? Or man, I can't believe you lift that much weight. Man, I could, I could do this forever, you know? And then all of a sudden it gets hard, but you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to keep going because of pride, right? Because I've got to, I can't, I can't lose what I said, so I'm going to make it look like this is easy, but uh, I can't really feign and show. But you know what? The devil was trying to prove a point here. The devil was trying to win in this specific situation. You know what? I think of a, a, a time when I wrestled in high school, and you know what? It, it wasn't just enough for somebody to say, hey, let's race. You know, and we were in the wrestling room, and, uh, you know, from one end of the wrestling room to the other, the room was maybe as big as this auditorium. And so that wouldn't have been much fun, right, to race from one end to the other. I mean, how much fun is that? But they're like, hey, we're going to race in the dark. And so they started at one room. Remember, I told you brains don't fully develop to your 20, 24, 25 or whatever. But uh, they started at one side of the room and ran to the other. There's only one inherent problem with this is in that wrestling room, it was a two-story building, and there were things that they needed to support the second floor called columns. And these columns weren't that big. They were maybe six or eight inches in diameter, and they were solid metal. So you can imagine what happens next. Somebody won the race, and somebody lost a few teeth, is what ended up happening. And he ran smack dab into that pole, 
to try and prove that he was faster, but in the end, uh, we in, they ended up nicknaming him at the wrestling banquet, uh, Wayne Gretzky, because of the amount of teeth that he had lost during the wrestling season. But you know what? I believe here that the devil was doing anything and everything that he could to get Job to lose his integrity, to get Job to curse God. If it was in his power to take away and it would help Job lose his integrity, the devil was going to do it. Why is this important to know? We'll find out as we continue. In verse number 13 through verse number 20, the devil takes away so much that Job has. In verse number, 20, uh, uh, two, uh, verse number 22, the Bible says, In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the devil is now allowed to touch Job. Uh, in verse number 6, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So he's now allowed not just to touch Job's substance and not just to touch Job's sons, but he's allowed to touch Job's body, but he's not allowed to kill him. And in verse number uh, 7, the Bible says, So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot until his crown. And he took a posture to scrape himself with awe, and he sat down among the ashes. At this time, I believe the devil used one of the most painful means available. And a, a boil is not something that I've ever had. I've never experienced necessarily somebody that's had a boil. But when I've done just a little bit of research on it, it said a boil is a painful, pus-filled bump that forms under your skin when bacteria infects and inflame one or more of your hair follicles. A boil is usually very painful because of the pressure that develops as it grows bigger. There's a specific syndrome. It's called hyperimmunoglobulin E syndrome. It's a rare disease. It causes problems with the skin, with the sinuses, with the lungs, the bones, and the teeth. It's also called Job syndrome. It is named after the biblical character Job, whose faithfulness was tested by an affliction with draining skin, sores, and postules. People with this condition have long-term severe skin infections. It talks about the disease is so rare that it often takes several years before a correct diagnosis is made. Let me just say this, that this infliction was so bad that thousands of years later, there's a condition that's named after it. Let me just say this, that Job was going through it. He had his family that he lost. He had his, his, his fame that he lost. He had his substance that he lost. And now his health was turning on him as well. But I find something very interesting in verse number 9. The Bible says, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. We often credit Job as the one who went through these trials, but his wife lost everything that Job lost as well. The wife lost the animals. She lost the assets. She lost the children that she had loved. She lost the children she had raised and cared for. Yet her response is vastly different than Job. The question is, is if the devil was allowed to take everything that Job had, and the devil basically did just that, why did the devil not take Job's wife? And you know what? I pondered about that, and I don't have the specific answer. I can only give evidence of what I think and what I believe from the Word of God. You know, you could speculate and say, well, Job and his wife were married, and the Bible says... When the husband and wife become together, they become one flesh. 
And so the devil was not allowed to uh, kill Job's wife since it was a part of Job. Well, but I don't find her afflicted with boils. Now, let me tell you this. When a man gets an illness, the wife gets it as well. I mean, there is nothing like the man flu. Can I get a witness? And the wife deals with the man at that time. So I'm not saying that she didn't have to deal with specifically having boils because her husband did. But nonetheless, her response, can, it was different. The Bible doesn't specifically address Job's wife as far as the trial goes, but I think the answer can be found in her response. I wonder how the devil knew that Job's wife would tempt Job to give up on God and throw it all away. Now don't read into it. Again, I'm not getting down on Job's wife. The reality is how she reacted is probably better than most of us how we would react. But why didn't the devil consume Job's wife? If we attribute everything that the devil consumed, Job's substance and Job's sons and daughters as devil's food, as things that were beneficial for him to take away, why was she not consumed? Why was she not devil's food? The question today is, does the devil want to consume you? Are you devil's food? Is there going to be some benefit if he attacks your life? Or is he using you in your current capacity to bring himself glory. You know what? I don't want to be attacked by the devil. I don't want the devil to attack my family. However, I do want God's protection. I do want God's provision. I want God's blessing on my life. And the question is, what is your reaction when bad things happen? Do we curse God or do we continue to bless him? Do we continue to serve him or do we step back from church, from Bible reading, from prayer, from giving to God. You know, in Job chapter 13 and verse number 15, the Bible says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I don't want to be the one that the devil says it will benefit him to just leave me be. I think the devil knew exactly what he was doing when he was trying to get Job to turn and to curse God. What would he have to do to get you to turn from God today? Say, I'm throwing in the towel, it's all over, I'm done with church and I'm done praying, I've tried to do what's right, I'm trying to follow God, and yet trouble keeps coming in my life. Let me just say this, your voice matters, your attendance matters, your service matters. You know, the Bible talks over and over again about the value of one. And you know what, the devil tries to diminish our value of one. You know what, but, uh, you know, we just had an election that took place and the devil and the world would like you to think that your voice doesn't matter. And what is it going to matter if you vote? It's not going to change anything in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, but your vote counts. Your vote matters. Hey, calling representatives and making your voice known matters. And by the way, it matters to God as well with our prayers. And you say, hey, thousands, if not millions of other people are praying. So what does my prayers matter? Your voice matters to God. Your voice not only matters, but your response also matters. Is your response when trouble comes, as Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him? Or is your response, curse God and die? We can't control what happens around us, but we can control our response. Romans 12 and verse number 21, the Bible says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If Satan were to examine your life this past week, what would he want to destroy? 
What are you doing for the cause of Christ? You say, well, I'm going through things right now and I can't do it. I can't make it alone. Well, you're exactly right. But I'm so glad the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm so glad the Bible says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So you say, what are you talking about with this devil's food? The devil wants to consume. The devil wants to attack. The devil wants to do all he can to diminish the cause of Christ. The question here today is, does he want to attack you? Or is it more beneficial for him to just say, nah, I'll leave him right where he is because he's doing my work. He's going he's to benefit my cause. I'd like to challenge you to examine our routines, to examine our lives. I'd like to encourage you to keep following God that no matter what comes in life, we stay faithful to the cause of Christ, that we have the right response. What is our response when trouble comes? What's your response when somebody proves to you that they're human? When somebody proves to you that the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? When somebody proves to you the statement that says, hey, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. The reality is we're all, all human. And people are going to do things to make you upset. People are going to do things that you don't understand. But our response is what's important. Is our response one that would honor and glorify God? Or is our response one that the devil says, ah, no, I'll use that. Let's not be used by the devil. Let's be ones that can be used by God. What is our response? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.